Hello, everybody. You are listening to Nashville Demystified. I am your host, Alex Steed. Nashville Demystified is a show about getting to know the city better. We are brought to you by Knack Factory, a content and video production company, and by We Own This Town, a collection of podcasts produced by Nashvillians. Hey, if you haven't checked it out already, you might be interested in San Dimas Today, a We Own This Town show. It has been producing episodes about the Bill and Ted universe for some time now, and of course, that's especially relevant at the moment because the new Bill and Ted movie just came out in theaters and on demand. I saw it last week, and it's extraordinarily sweet. If you're looking for something to take your mind off the impending fascist creep, both in this state and in this country, uh, spend an hour and 40 minutes with Bill and Ted and... Uh, a killer robot turned good, and a couple of offspring who are out to help their dads. It's it's lovely. I promise it's worth your time. And hey, I wanted to tell you that Nashville Demystified it now has a sister podcast called Why Are Dads in it. Sarah Marshall of You're Wrong About Fame, and I attempt to understand what the hell it means to be grown children of dads and other dad-like figures And as we do with all difficult subject matter, we do so by looking through a pop culture lens. Last week, we spent some time with Jaws. This week, we spend some time with Dirty Dancing. Check it out wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review and uh, like it and follow and subscribe and do all that. And do the same with this, your favorite Nashville history podcast, Nashville Demystified. Thanks to everybody who checked out our last episode on Teeny Jarrett and Nashville's wrestling past. Uh, the 20th century was real good for Nashville wrestling, like right in the middle, like 1940 to 1980. Good times for Nashville wrestling. We're going to do one more Nashville wrestling history episode on our next go, and then we'll put the subject to bed for a while. <laughs> I didn't expect to do this much on Nashville wrestling, but it's such a rich part of the city's history. Uh, this upcoming episode will be on Don Fargo, the lesser known of the Fargo brothers, uh, but the most profoundly outrageous for sure. Make sure you listen for the absolutely wildest stories about being on the road in the 60s and 70s. And there are much deeper and darker places that Fargo's history and story go to, I should say, uh, in affiliations that tie into our current state of affairs. But we'll save that all for when we go there in our next episode. This week's episode features an interview with author Steve Harush, an editor, I guess in this case. Steve talked with me about his absolutely wonderful new book, which was published by Vanderbilt Press, called Greetings from New Nashville. Steve edited the book, and two of his essays are featured, among a number of others by some of my very favorite writers in the city. Of the folks that are nationally known, there is Ann Patchett, and there is Ben Folds, which is cool, and there's Steve, and one of my just absolutely favorite Nashville writers, uh, Nashville scenes, J.R. Lind. Love, love, like J.R.'s style and approach are the very best. I love everything he writes. And there's Stephen Hale, who's been on the show before. And there's Betsy Phillips, who I also adore, a past guest on the show. Just fabulous. This book is incredible. I love it. 
By looking at the time period between 1998 and 2018, the book examines how and why the new Nashville we know today, the so-called It City, emerged, and it sorts through the impact and implications of that rise. In many ways, it is a question we've been asking on this show with every episode, and it's the lens through which we look at everything related to Nashville history. We're trying to understand how we got here. So to read the take presented by this collection of essays, it was both refreshing and just extraordinarily satisfying. I had so many aha moments on my journey through it. The book comes out in October and you can pre-order it now. I cannot recommend it enough. And actually, I should say a lot of the books have been published elsewhere in the past over the past 20 years. Uh, but the ones that have been published in the past are published with updates, which is just super cool because you get to see how much has changed in say six years in 10 years in 13 years it's great i can't recommend it enough i sound at this point crazy about my <laughs> emphatic support for it but i really really do hope that you read it steve i should tell you is a writer an editor a filmmaker he's based in nashville of course his work has appeared in the nashville scene the new york times npr's code switch the guardian and elsewhere He's currently producing a documentary film about the history of college radio. I come from college radio. That's my background in this arena. So my stars align with Steve's in a lot of cool ways. It was so, so great to talk with him. So let me uh, shut the F up <laughs> and let's get to talking with Steve. Hello, thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I love this book so much. Well, thank you. I really do. I mean, I feel like in one way or another, this podcast has been coming to a city, people telling me that it's new Nashville, me sort of having to figure out what that means alone. And a year in, someone literally wrote a book on explaining what that means <laughs> or compiled a, a beautiful collection of essays about what that means. Can you tell me about how this came to you and sort of how one goes about describing a 20-year process? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, these are things I've thought about a lot. But I would say the origin point for the book is actually, so I do marketing for Parnassus Books. And one day a customer came in and was looking around the local book section and everyone was couldn't help him and someone came back and asked hey can you help this guy out and so i went out there and he said hey you know my uh my daughter moved here recently he was from the chicago area which is where i'm from and he said you know i visited nashville like in the 80s and it was just this dinky little town and now look at it. I mean, it's this amazing place that everyone thinks is so cool. And I want to read a book about why that is. And I said, well, sir, um, <laughs> uh, I uh, don't know that we have that book. Um, I recommended Paul Hemphill's The Nashville Sound because I said this was written in 1970 or 71. But so much of what that book is arguing about, we're still arguing about. And right. Would... <laughs> Although it's there's a chapter on Glenn Campbell and right. uh, there's a, you know, which is so culturally slightly different, yet the same structure of argument. <laughs> right. Yeah. But just this whole idea of like, oh, Nashville was better before all this new stuff is coming in and ruining what the city is mm. really about. 
Anyway, this guy was not satisfied with a book written in 1971. <laughs> um, and so I, that just kind of stuck with me. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, maybe there is a book. Maybe I want to read that book, you know? Mm. Yeah, so I wrote to the folks at Vanderbilt and said, hey, would you be interested in something that explores this idea? And that's really how it got started. The writers that are represented here are fantastic, and the breadth of subjects that are represented are fantastic. I mean, it kicks off with Ann Patchett's essay about sort of where Nashville was in 2007. I mean, your essays are about tech and what drives modern innovation. And then there's essays about like sports and sort of the the significance of that. There's everything in between. How many essays did you consider overall and how did you taper that into a narrative? Yeah, that's a good question. I know I don't know that I have a number for how many. Like a lot of it was my editor will tell you that there were too many uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that I kept advocating for this book to be much longer than he wanted it to be. There were certain pieces because I knew that it was just from a the amount of time we had really to turn this around and for it to still feel kind of fresh. Um, there was kind of a limit to the time we had. So we knew there were, some of them were going to be reprints. Um, and there were a few that I knew right away that I would want to include. I knew I wanted Tiana's poem in there. I knew I wanted Anne's piece. And there was sort of a long list of stuff that, for reprints. I knew I wanted Ted Elkhorn's piece about the uh, community oversight board. And then it was kind of like, okay, these are the reprints that we have that I know that I want in there that are already published elsewhere. Here are the essays I think I might want to write. Here are the pieces that I think there's nothing out there that really sort of connects these two or three dots. Here's who I think I might ask to do that dot connecting. So that's where Ron Wynn, you know, his essay, because I knew that he had a relationship with Jeff Carr. And I, I felt like there were some dots that only Ron could really connect, you know. And so I asked him if he would do that. So it was really kind of like if someone said yes, and I said, can you connect these three dots or these seven dots? And they were like, well, I'll take four of those. And they're like, okay, <laughs> move these dots back onto the unconnected pile. You know, and this was, to me, really sort of fascinating work and, and so interesting is that like that, the long list kept changing, the shape of the book kept changing depending on who said yes and what they would say yes to. That's a long way of saying I... I really made it up as I went along. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. And, and I'm curious about how you came up with the dots. And I know what you mean. Like you're you're essentially trying to, in the process of putting all these essays together, weave together like a multi-dimensional and abstract look at what this phase of Nashville means and looks like and what the impact is. But how did you come up with like, how do we figure out the intersection of say, growth in the 90s in the courting of professional sports teams? And that's important. And then uh, looking at these other various elements, how did you figure out what dots were essential into telling that story? I mean, a lot of it was just having already talked to people about this sort of thing. Um, some of the seeds for the larger essays are already there. Like, you know, I quote Marshall Chapman in the introduction. She says, you know, I think Nashville became a real city when we got major league sports. And that's an argument that other people have made. And so I thought that's something I want to explore because I don't think anyone's really written something about that in the context of the book that we had going. So, and I knew that JR was the person I wanted to write that because he is someone who, he's just so smart and he knows so much about culture and sports and the city. I knew that he would do a good job of writing something that even if you don't love sports, 
you sort of understand what it meant for those teams to arrive here. The, the argument that I think that the book is making is that it's not just one thing, but this was, you know, if, if you need a certain amount of fuel for the fire to go, like the Titans and the Preds are definitely like, those are big logs on that fire. And so, yeah, like just as, you know, Marshall Chapman and others had already said this about that's the point where the city becomes a real city. So let's explore that. And there's just little breadcrumbs of it here and there that either in writing or in conversations with people, I thought, okay, there's a little nugget. Someone thinks that this was important. So it was that, again, this is kind of my, I have this list going of here's a dot, here's a dot, here's a dot. Mm-hmm. Maybe it leads somewhere, maybe it doesn't. And so just backing up a bit, like when you are out to tell a story about, quote, new Nashville and paint a picture of what that is and what it means, what does that mean? <laughs> And I know you have, you have so many great meditations on the development of the concept of the it city and sort of how that developed over the years, but in, in the significance and the baggage, all, all, everything that comes with that. But when one talks about new Nashville, like you said, I mean, this conversation has been going on since at least 1970 because the Nashville sound was itself an iteration of a new Nashville. What does it mean in the context of 2020? Well, ooh, 2020, I can... uh, t- 2019. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we we sort of chose that 1998 and 2018 is the brackets. So I think for 2018, which is, you know, where the the book is saying that this is the end of whatever this phase is, you know, I think for that, New Nashville is like this place that has overcome its like sort of quirky regional reputation and become an international destination for Mm -hmm. both tourists and people looking to start businesses. It's a place where... You know, I don't know if I, I don't think I squeeze this in anywhere, but like the the Nashville scene, the best of Nashville issue, like one of the entries every year was like best place that makes you feel like you're not in Nashville. And that meant like somewhere that you could be sitting and actually for a moment forget that you're in this town because it was mm-hmm. so cool that you couldn't possibly be in Nashville experiencing this. Right. So I think that the entire city started to try to take this turn towards something that was just more cosmopolitan, you know, for for better and worse. I, I think the aspiration to cosmopolitanism, I think when people roll their eyes, it's like this, this sort of try hard, um, we're so fancy now. So I think when people use that term in a derogatory way, which people often do, it's this sort of aspiration to hipness. It's this like, look at us, we're so important now. Right, right. For a lot of people, it feels like who've been in Nashville for a long time, there is some real tension with that because that means particular things as well. That comes with particular kinds of baggage, you know, housing costs out of touch. Uh, that's, that's a huge one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's and, and it becomes a sense of like becoming that leaves other people feeling like they're not a part of that, of right. that uh, development. Yeah. And I think, um, I think for a lot of people, the, the problem was not, Oh, we've got high end dining that we didn't used to have. The mm-hmm. problem was that every time something got torn down, what was put in its place was out of the reach of the people who lived on either side of it, you know, and that was just a pattern that seemed to repeat itself again and again, that really everything that was being renewed and improved was really for the benefit of one class of people. What I really also like about this book for the essays that are already existing is there is an opportunity for people to follow up with what has happened since it was originally published. Yeah. And I love the follow-up on your tech essay. <laughs> which, 
<laughs> Which I, I mean, I've, I've been parts of, I've always had a foot in one way or another in, in the tech development of whatever city uh, is that I'm in. And I very much recognize that story where there's a particular time in, in the essay that you wrote, which I think was in 2013, mm-hmm. there's all this very specific stuff happening. And then in your follow-up, I believe probably written within the past year, almost all of those things are not happening anymore or have been sort of sucked into a larger thing. Right. And yeah. all of the individual entities that you're writing about just are not there anymore. Yeah. Uh, what what do you make of that? Like what has happened in the past seven or eight years in, in development in that area? In, in some ways, I think that was inevitable. And, and I tried to write my follow-up in a way that was not like, you know, these people failed because I think they were just trying to figure out something new. In, in the same way that like, you know, the bands in Anne's essay, half of them have broken up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not an indictment of them or anything. You know, I think that Nashville, like so many places, there was this moment where everyone felt that what Silicon Prairie bus could roll into your town and, you know, write somebody a $30,000 check and everything was going to change. And so I think that story kind of captures some of the energy of that moment. Um, And, you know, that moment has passed. And I think what happened in Nashville, what was, I think a lot of people thought it was kind of inevitable, which is that all the money in town is healthcare money. All the people looking for tech money tried to convince the healthcare people to support my app that takes video and turns it into four <laughs> videos, right. you know, like, and the healthcare people were like, that doesn't sound like a moneymaker to us. And eventually the tech folks and the healthcare folks got together and said, hey, why don't we do something that both of us want to do and meet somewhere in the middle? And that's basically what's happened. Right. And in, in, in your, your other essay that's involved in here, you talk about not just what factors go into modernizing a city and sort of in in modern development, but uh, in people who essentially become prophets and maybe false prophets of the equations that go behind that modernization. And you do a really beautiful job uh, in that essay of dissecting the difference between, you know, which I've heard a lot where people sort of are advocating for the creative class itself is almost like a solve that's going to immediately fix everything, uh, almost like in in an evolutionary way, a natural evolutionary way way when when you also point out you're like well nashville has a shitload of healthcare money (laughs) (laughs) which i feel like is a story whenever i talk with other people uh, about what's going on in nashville a lot of people have even people in nashville have no idea that it's a healthcare behemoth in the way that it is that whole creative class argument i mean i think it seemed like so much stuff was changing it seemed like on the surface that creative class stuff like made a certain kind of sense And I think just a lot of people got swept up in this idea that, oh, well, creative people being creative, man, that's just, that's the engine that makes it go. Usually in capitalist systems, it's money that makes stuff go. (laughs) Um, And who has a lot of money? People aren't just, yeah, exactly. And creative people aren't just like materializing money. Like it's... (laughs) Right? Yeah. Um, Like you can't just sort of manifest these things. Um, I mean, certain things you can, but... I think, I think we're just so used to the idea that like in this town, you can just show up with a head full of songs. And if they're good songs, you know, all of a sudden you have a mansion in Hendersonville if you, <laughs> if the right people record them, right? You know, like, so there is a kind of magic that happens here around creativity that I think made Nashville want to believe all that stuff um, because it, in, on a certain level, some of it's kind of true here. You brought up the book uh, Nashville Sound, which I have and I love. And um, the other great Nashville book is Tom T. Hall's The Storytellers Nashville. And why are there no other books about Nashville? (laughs) 
Like, I, that's an unfair question to direct to you. It's not like you're responsible, but I'm trying. Man. Like, yeah, there's there's one other kind of like travelers storytellers book about Nashville from like 2002. Maybe it's a, clear, a collection of essays that um, there's like an essay about like a Hank three and a handful of other things. But it feels like a, it almost feels like a traveler from the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Um, Nashville's such a storied city. Why are there not collections of <laughs> of, of writing about it? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, there's some books in the last couple of years, like novels, like thrillers, stuff that are set here and such. I don't think that's what you're really talking about, though. No, no. I think there's a lot of space for more exploration of it. I mean, honestly, there's a, you know, there's the other half of the 600 page book that Vanderbilt wouldn't publish that, you know, (laughs) just out there waiting to be uh, written and assembled. Um, you know, there there were people that I asked who couldn't, that just didn't have the time, that the schedule didn't work out for them. There are so many good writers here also, you know. I mean, I think there is still a lot to explore. And so that's a great question. I, w- I wish I knew the answer to it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like, so I'm originally from Maine and there are more books about Maine than there are stories in Maine. It's like, actually, <laughs> there should not be as many. Like, I don't know how it happened or why it had happened, but there's so many books you know, like like nonfiction or first person essays about Maine and to find stories for this show, you kind of have to game where you're looking for stories if you're looking at books. Like there are a lot of great stories and anecdotes about Nashville in other books that you wouldn't necessarily think about. Like in any book that talks about like the outlaw country mu- right, movement, right. you can find all these anecdotes. But as a result, you're finding this kind of unbalanced narrative that imagines Nashville exclusively as Music City. Right. And that's a kind of part of the reason why I think like people don't necessarily know that healthcare is there. Because like you say in this essay, it's like you're like you're telling the part of the story about sort of how healthcare becomes so big and you have this really funny aside where you're, you essentially say like it's not as sexy a story as like as what is it as Merle seeing uh, Johnny Cash play at the prison right yeah <laughs> um, you know it's like a bunch of guys in a golf course figuring out how to get rich yeah <laughs> but that's that's an untold story about Nashville and something that I feel like is totally forgotten that that is like the financial backbone of the city yeah yeah <laughs> I would definitely read that book. I mean, and to think that even now it's getting better, but you know, the story of of how important Nashville was to the civil rights movement. I mean, obviously it's there in the children by by Halberstam, but I think that maybe uh, Nashville does such a does so much work mythologizing itself that other people feel like they don't have to or something. Uh. <laughs> I think that that's true. I really do. Th- I think that that's true. Again, another unfair question because you were looking at a specific time in, in this collection, but where does Nashville go? <laughs> Like, where's where, what comes after 2018? Yeah, that's a great question. As we're talking right now, there are so many things that are in the air, like that could go any which way. So when the tornado hit, part of my argument in the book is that kind of New Nashville starts with the tornado of 98 because it rips up East Nashville and then people have to engage with like zoning and how do we preserve historic houses but rebuild the houses around them? And what are we going to do with these wrecked buildings? There's going to be new restaurants. Well, if we're going to have new restaurants, maybe they should be a little different than the old restaurants, right? So this idea that New Nashville starts with this tornado, and then, of course, 
we get another tornado <laughs> as this <laughs> as this book is being published. And I remember thinking that the fact that there was another tornado on the other side of this book was going to change the whole conversation. And then the pandemic, right? So now, I mean, Nashville is faced with not only all the questions that every other city in this country is facing right now, which is all this inequality is laid bare in a way that we've never had to grapple with before. But also, like, are we going to have any independent music venues on the other side mm -hmm. of this? And is this going to be kind of the final nail in the coffin? I mean, is Live Nation just going to own every venue? Some combination of Live Nation, Amazon, and, uh, you know, Gaylord is just going to own every little club in town because that's who can afford to take on the losses that they're taking on right now. So I don't, like, I just don't know. And it's really scary to think that, you know, some of these clubs are, you know, weeks away from the cliff, really. It's, it's so hard to say. There are so many problems that I think we were already kind of trying to figure out. I think large pockets of the city were, were finally getting fed up with all the wreckage that the tourism focus was causing. And then on top of that, uh, to have the, the pandemic, it's just there's so much that we need to figure out going forward. And um, early results are not super promising, I have to say. Right, because you do, you point out, or it's it's pointed out in here and it's been pointed out sort of everywhere, right? That every time a major crisis hits Nashville, and this happened with the tornado in 98, and then this happened with the flood in a, a number of ways in, in 2010, is um, obviously everyone who is a handful of paychecks away from being broke, to best case scenario, has enough money to survive a year, um, aren't in a position to buy a house or hold on to commercial real estate. Um, right. And what happens is those people get out of the way and then people who are essentially using money as a vehicle exclusively for investment and then have extra capital are able to buy up all of the commercial real estate and and residential real estate. And it increasingly kind of closes the yeah. closes the window on opportunity for where, where people can be. There have been times in history when various crises have led to people being able to, you know, cheaply get space and create scenes and do that sort of thing. But for whatever reason... Uh, the way that uh, the way that this form of capitalism is structured, it just every crisis creates less and less opportunity for that sort of maintenance of space. Yeah, absolutely. And it, recent history seems to tell us that it's about to happen again in even bigger way, because I think a lot of what happened in terms of redevelopment and neighborhoods being flipped, that is a result of the housing crash, which was bad for everyone except the investor class. Right. It was actually quite good for them. Right. And this is another case where the richest people in the world are like exponentially richer as more people die and suffer and lose their homes. If anything, it seems like this is like the market crash, but it, we don't know when it's going to end and it arguably will be worse. What do you most love about Nashville? Like, why are you a person who edited a book about Nashville? <laughs> I mean, I feel like the people that I know who have been here the longest still hold on to uh, a really sort of stubborn kindness. There is, I think, maybe not for everyone who moves here, but even for transplants, the idea that living in this place means you have to care about the people around you, that has never left me. Like every time I sort of meet a new pocket of people who are relatively new here or didn't grow up here, like it's something that I, it just seems like they, it's part of why they stayed. Speaking of best of Nashville entries, you know, like one of my favorites is you're so Nashville if you never thought you'd stay here this long. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
I think that's so true. I mean, because I originally moved here, I thought I was going to be here for four years. I thought, oh, I can live anywhere four years, right? You know, and that was much more than four years ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I've i never been to a place like Nashville. And I know that that's probably a thing that a lot of people say about it. But I was there for a year, came back. I'm in Maine right now, came to Maine to um, uh, because my wife was teaching some classes. And then COVID became evident. <laughs> In that, in that moment. And we're going back in November. And I've lived in Maine on and off for 30 years of my life. And I feel like going to Nashville is going home after only a year there. And I think a lot of it comes from, and this is touched on numerous times in this book, and it's been touched on in sort of what you just said, for a place that very understandably has mixed emotions about like what its growth looks like and who's coming and what that's going to mean and illusions and delusions and all of the stuff that we've talked about. I have never been so enthusiastically and sincerely welcomed and encouraged in a place than I have been in Nashville. And and I've learned enough about the, you know, the contrast between northern and southern hospitality to know what the difference is between hospitality and people actually being helpful. Right. And so many people are profoundly helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it's 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 like a, especially with with regard to the the creative elements of networking that's touched on in here within the creative community especially like a very much a I get what you're trying to do and I'm trying to do something similar and like why don't we just like be helpful to each other. Yeah. And, and that was the one thing that kind of surprised me when I wrote that tech story was I mean I sort of understood that Nashville was a creative place but just sort of the consensus around even in an industry that we think of as very cutthroat there was this idea that you know like collaboration is important like it's just in the air in this place and that it, that also like unlike other places people are generally available like there are very few people who won't return your phone call in right. nashville um there are very few people who won't at least have a cup of coffee with you you know yeah, there's just, I think there's a pervasive sense that you kind of have to be a regular person on some level. Sure, like any other place, there are levels and there are, you know, there are plenty of snakes out there also, as anywhere. But I, I, I just feel like the the predominant mode of the city is is very open and friendly. What is your next writing related project? Do you have one? Is this an unfair time to ask you since <laughs> this book is not even out yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny when uh, when I did the Jim Ridley book, someone at the release event said, you know, <laughs> when is volume two come out? And Betsy, you know, Betsy Phillips, who's the yeah, publicist okay. for the press, she just yelled at them. They're like, the book's been out for four days. Um, <laughs> well, I wanted to. This book isn't even out yet. So I yeah. really wanted to beat them. <laughs> um, I'm working on a manuscript that I hope to shop around at some point that is not terribly far along, but that's a memoir project, um, which doesn't have a home yet. And But for right now, I'm, I'm focused on promoting this book. There's also a documentary that I've been working on for a while that I'm trying to get finished. So that's where I'm at right now. I feel like not yet having released a book, you have more than enough time to just promote the book. <laughs> I will say, though, that like your brand name author is usually by the time they're on tour for a book, they're well into the next one because their their publisher wants them 
to have something to sell soon. <laughs> I don't know, and I don't mean to project. And we obviously just know common people in, in this uh, this group, but I imagine there must be a benefit to making a book with Vanderbilt because it seems like their incentive is different uh, than a mass market press. Like, <laughs> it doesn't seem like they're just like, all right, man, where's your next book? <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. It's also good. I think doing this book with the university press, I think I got to be a little bit weirder with it than a commercial press would have wanted. I think a commercial press would have wanted something a little more, I don't want to say straightforward because it's not like the book is confusing, but I tried to sort of very subtly weave various themes in and out. And I think that in a way that I think some people might find a little experimental from a commercial mm. standpoint. Yeah. Vanderbilt has been great. And they, they just uh, gave me a lot of freedom to sort of make this um, what I wanted it to be. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I certainly noticed what you're talking about. And I also noticed that probably in part because of that and the lack of those kinds of pressures that might come from publishers is like, there's no real like hot takes either. <laughs> but it's also not like it's not dry uh, like a like a textbook. I mean, it, it's a great read. Um, you're reading these like really great indefinite points of view, but it's it's rich enough and sort of telling a, a again an abstract enough story over the course of two decades to never really have to like have an edgy piece. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's enough of an undertaking to like try to just explain what the hell is going on. Right. And, and but none of which is to say that it's like not rich, it's extraordinarily rich. And I think it's done a great job and I hope that someone and I'm not putting this on you, but I hope that someone does this for the missing decades in Nashville's uh written history. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's high. It's high time. I want to. I want to hear about the gritty '80s in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, like a, an '80s Nashville book would be great. Like a '90s sort of like. I mean, just a like uh, class of '89 up yeah. through the '90s. Like that kind of book would be cool. And you know, honestly, I think maybe in ten years there is the book that answers some of the questions that we raise in this book because you know the subtitle is how this happened, but not why, because I don't think we know why yet. Um, mm. And so I wanted it to feel like you're sort of dropped into these various points along the timeline. And then sometimes we pull back and we have some perspective, but I don't think we really know yet. I think someday after whatever is about to happen happens, there will be sort of a clearer idea of like what the actual trajectory was. And it may be, this may be the end. Like right now we may be sitting through sort of the end of whatever mm. this arc is, but I really thought of the, the book as looking back at that time, but really as the beginning of the conversation about that time and not the end of it. Well, thank you so much. I'm psyched for you. I think that this is this is a wonderful accomplishment. I mean, it's it's um, a question I've been trying to get to the bottom of personally for a while. And this, I feel like as far as roadmaps go, <laughs> this couldn't get better than this. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. I hope it's, a, it's also an advertisement for some of the writers in there, because like I said, there's so many things that I couldn't include that I hope it really opens people up to reading more of what these people have written elsewhere. Yeah, that is the thing that I also really enjoyed is I think a lot of these writers who I've been reading in one way or another, either through the, the scene or other published published places, seeing them who I, I think they're some of the most brilliant writers ever that, that are featured in here, but then seeing them sort of next to, you know, Ann Patchett and, and um, uh, Ben Folds was really fun. Because it's, it's you know, we are a culture that admires celebrity in the ways that we do. And to me, these people are celebrities. So to see them next to those names, it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
to win for the nerds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's like, you know, you get to be captain of the all-star team when you uh, put a book together. <laughs> Right on. Well, Steve, thank you so much. I, I wish you the best with this. And I mean, I hope we talk before then, but if you put together the book in 10 years that explains <laughs> uh, what's next, uh, we'll talk then too. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Thanks, man. Take care. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you to Steve Harush for joining us. Remember, you can pre-order Greetings from New Nashville now on the Vanderbilt site. You can check out where to order it on our website and in the episode notes. Thanks a million times over to Cameron Davidson for, as always, making this show sound great. Thank you for finding us on Instagram, Twitter, and elsewhere and following along. Thank you for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to the show and doing all that. Uh, remember to check out Why Our Dads if you're curious about pop culture and dads or, you know, if just like dads is a hard thing for you to touch and talk about. And so you want to explore it through a new lens. We're here for you. Uh, I love spending my time with you and I'm grateful that you keep coming back and giving me a reason to keep doing this. Thank you so much. I hope you are having uh, the best possible time, all things considered. Take care. Take care.